This is episode zero of All the Pieces Matter. It's a news and discussion show about Baltimore and the people working to change it for the better. I'm Andrew Hazlett, and I'm joined by... Sharon Paley. And uh, today we're also joined by our special guest, Mr. Hasdai Westbrook. Pleasure to be here. All right. Well, we're going to just dive right in, um, and then we're going to talk a little bit more about um, Hasdai and his interesting uh, activities and background and evil schemes. Mm. But... Um, we have a few bits of news to share. As, as you may know, um, and a very tiny percentage of you may have participated in, uh, this past Tuesday was the uh, primary election in uh, Baltimore and the rest of Maryland. It was and, a tiny percentage because I yeah. think I saw that only 16% of the city voted in the oh, primary. That's a shame. Which is even yeah. lower than the last time, which I couldn't imagine it could go lower than the last time. And what's really depressing is that it's the one like city election that actually counts because mm. of the disenfranchisement of other members of other parties, <laughs> uh, uh, Green, Republican, Libertarian, etc. Um, what are those things? I don't know. They're not. Permitted. Yeah, when I, I mean, I actually uh, a couple of years ago became a U.S. citizen. Uh, oh. I'm, I'm, I'm from London. For those who don't know, um, and. Uh, this, they had this um, woman from the League of Women Voters who was very impressive but absolutely terrifying and she scared the bejesus out of us and basically said, do not register as independent, which is what I would have done. You register as for a party, otherwise you have no say in this, in this city or this state. And I'm like, all right, all right. So we all kind of immediately went and <laughs> registered as Democrats. Well, I guess uh, there's an opportunity for the parties to decide that they would have open primaries. Sure. And maybe the GOP would look into that because it is such a one-party mm. State, city, yeah, all the way I, down the line. I, what I heard is that it's a, it is up to the parties to open or keep their primaries closed, and you know the 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 Democrat Democratic Party really doesn't have much incentive to do that. Um, right, it would have to be a mutual thing. Otherwise, it's completely just to the parties' disadvantage to open up their primary. Right, yeah. if only one of them does it. Now, I think like I mean, it's de facto exclusion from you know voting for most, many Marylanders. So I, I think the ACLU or somebody ought to challenge it, along with the uh, heavily gerrymandered uh, districts that result in such um, non-competitive elections. But those are um, um, that's that's strictly speaking for myself and no one else. Um, <laughs> uh, but anyway, we've got some other interesting news that maybe is not quite as depressing when all of the same people got reelected. Oh, well, there's some, there's some interesting uh, sidelines. Uh, you know, Bill Ferguson, who's a big uh, uh, advocate and um, uh, practitioner of transparency in Annapolis, mm -hmm. um, he is uh, uh, more cemented in his position. And there's also some other reform-minded people like Brooke Learman, who, um, who are now uh, part of the system. Um, and, uh, you know, there, there, there's, some, there's some good developments there, but for the most part, it's all people with the same familiar last names. Um, Except John Carden lost. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's the, the only non-nepotistic... Uh, <laughs> there's uh, the exception that proves your rule. <laughs> right. Um, so that's, that's another element of this that, that uh, bears watching, so hopefully things will change in the future. Mm. Bears watching. Yeah, or bears... I just got this visual of, like, bears... Are bears. Watching. Watching. Yeah, they're watching know. the polls. They're election watchers. <laughs> they, that would yeah. scare the bejesus out of everybody, and nobody yeah. would. Uh, <laughs> right. If you want to see even lower no turnout, fraud, bears. No turnout. <laughs> <laughs> there'll be no fraud because there'll be no turnout. It'll be a Republican's dream. <laughs> well, you think that's surreal? There. Uh, have any of you happened by um, 
the mouth of the Jones Falls and the Inner Harbor because there is a, a gigantic device that with solar panels that looks like part Conestoga wagon, part uh, paddle boat. Oh, this um, is the trash collector? Yes. yes. That thing is part awesome. Part spaceship. Yeah, it, it's, it's basically scooping up uh, the flow of uh, trash that comes, especially every time it rains, into the Inner Harbor uh, it's sort of channeled through the Jones Falls, and so there's there's like a funnel of um, of uh, kind of the, the same buoys that they use to to fight uh, oil spills, and then um, a solar powered wheel automatically scoops up the uh, uh, all of the trash, trash the yeah. Cheetos bags, the uh, um, uh, syringes, you know, syringes. Yeah, what have you, powered by <laughs> syringes. Yes, <laughs> I think it's awesome. I I think we should invest in getting another one so we can run races. Um, oh, oh, that's a whole new element yeah. of the uh, kinetic sculpture race. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I'm actually going to track the people down to this and sue them or something because I was saying for years that um, those little paddle boats they have the tourists go out, and yeah. they mm-hmm. should have those double as like trash collectors, so we could like harness all this tourism to clean up our, our bay. And now well, they've done it on a larger scale. So. Well, they have mm-hmm. the little boats that go around the harbor and scoop up garbage. Mm. They yeah. don't let tourists drive those. Mm. Or, well, maybe they should. But, but it, they should have races, and that you should yeah. have to have a boat that is actually garbage powered yeah. to race. Yeah, uh, powered by the powered garbage powered that car- you collect. The, uh, the garbage Grand Prix. I <laughs> yeah, mean, I think garbage. Yeah. Yes, the garb garb. Grand it's a green Grand Prix. Yes, yes. Trash That's Prix. brilliant. I think uh, I think the mm-hmm. water wheel is yes, great. Fantastic. Yeah, and I, I think it's also um, a. This is not something that like the innovation community dreamed up and uh, did because the city was not doing anything. It's actually, uh, from what I understand, there was an individual guy who came up with the idea, but it was entirely with the um, uh, kind of embrace of uh, you know the powers that be. So that's one point in um, <laughs> the establishment's favor there. That's pretty powers, cool. The powers that be stole our thunder. So. Yeah, yeah. Golf clap all around. Yeah. It's good. So yeah, and go check it out. And also uh, in the show notes, we'll put a link to a nice uh, NPR story that just ran about this contraption. Um, well, uh, in other news, um, Maryland often cites uh, its survey standings as an environment for entrepreneurship and business. Sadly, one of those um, surveys puts Baltimore down um, 35th, or I'm no, sorry, Maryland. Maryland. Yeah. The state of Maryland is 35th on a list of best states for business. And I think that, um, I mean, there are a lot of programs to help people start stuff, startups, accelerators, incubators, what have you. But um, there's, there's, it's basically, you know, it's common knowledge that there's a real squeeze once you start to grow in terms of taxation and regulation and uh, flexibility. So, um, you know, if we're going to be praised on um, some s- surveys, we've got to take lumps on other surveys. So, uh, something to. to I mean, monitor. I think the most alarming part of that study was that Maryland ranked 45th in the cost of doing business. Mm-hmm. So that actually, you know, that that's what's really dragging us down. So I think it's something that the state will probably need to address, which of course won't happen till next year who's going to address mm-hmm. anything at this point, um, <laughs> that if we want to have jobs and new businesses here, you know, it can't just be through the, the people who are just devoted to the state and so they stay, the Kevin Planks of the world or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, we've got to, there has to be a reason to come here. Yeah, and, and well, you know, it, it, there, there are, um, uh, you know, sorry, 
<coughs> excuse me, I forgot to press the cough button. But there, there is a, a, just a host of reasons why you know, Maryland is a wonderful place to, to do business and stick around. But you know, the fact is that it is much more expensive than, than one would think. And I think the only hope for uh, Baltimore in particular and um, you know, the evolving economy is to be a lot cheaper than mm-hmm. other cities on the East Coast. I mean, right now it is, but I mean, when you really think about it, the, 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 like the cheap housing here isn't so cheap unless you're really going on to the urban frontier. Right. Um, so it, uh, it, it's, it's a fragile advantage that. But Baltimore I don't think there were in that, this is a CNBC um, mm-hmm. survey that we're talking mm-hmm. about. I don't think that the, the states that they named as leading the way were East Coast states. I think it was mostly, it was like very tipped heavily Southern. Yeah. Texas, Georgia, um, North Carolina. So. Well, it's mostly, I presume, to do with taxation and regulation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's, and that's, yeah, businesses are leaving New York, New Jersey, Massachusetts, Maryland, et cetera, for those states. Um, so, I know, and, and as we'll get into at some point soon, we don't want to be entirely dependent on you know, trickle down from the federal government to um, keep us uh, keep us going necessarily. Um, uh, let's see. I'm going to skip down a little bit. Um, one, I was going to say, thing, good thing we were only going to take ten minutes. For yeah, the news. I know. Well, that's too too much interesting <laughs> stuff. Um, there's a a new uh, collaboration that's been announced among um, universities and colleges and health institutions and um, the city to uh, foster collaboration among these uh, so-called anchor institutions. Mm -hmm. And yeah, besides the federal government, you know, these are the institutions that keep um, our regional economy uh, afloat. Um, Hopkins, University of Maryland. mm -hmm. UMBC, that is University of Maryland. Uh, But also, you know, like Micah is definitely a major real estate presence in um, the, the center of Baltimore and you know, all, all the universities play that kind of role. Um, and they're also talent magnets. Um, so, you know, it'll be interesting. It's the kind of thing um, perhaps one would, would think that it had already been happening. Yes. Um, <laughs> if one were me. <laughs> but it's, a, it's something to keep an eye on. Like, I mean, these, these organizations obviously should be working together for the betterment of the city because it impro- if the region improves and grows then that's better for these institutions but we'll just yeah and i i think i think they're starting to get that i i mean i've been in on some meetings uh where these ideas have been kicked around with some of these institutions and i think they realize i'm assuming their model is places like boston and the whatever it's called the research triangle or whatever um where you get these this kind of cumulative self mutually reinforcing effect where if the region improves, um, it attracts more and more talent. It's a, like a virtuous cycle. And I think they realize that if they don't start doing these things in more earnest, that they are going to start losing out to the places that have it, that are doing it uh, much better, like Boston, mm-hmm. places in California and so forth. Yeah. Um, also, um, in uh, turning to kind of the develop, well, for, uh, along the development lines and um, turning to uh, kind of a social enterprise uh, angle on that, um, some people that we know um, uh, have been involved in uh, a, a new effort to turn some 
uh, vacant buildings on Howard Street, once the commercial shopping center of, of the city, mm-hmm. they're going to turn a couple, or they're hoping to turn a couple of vacant Howard Street buildings into a theater incubator and a social enterprise impact hub um, space. And, um, and just help to, to foster a lot of the activity that's happening in that side of town and provide a home for uh, some, you know, very cool people doing very cool things. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's brilliant if they can pull it off because you already have the Hippodrome and Everyman Theater kind of down in that area. So to bring, you know, more uh, early stage theater projects into that same neighborhood, I think is, is great. And, and you have the Bromo Seltzer Art District there, mm. and everything about that area can kind of use a leg up. And very often you see that like artists and creative people are the leading edge of neighborhood transformation. So if you can do more to bring people down into that area and spend money at Lexington Market, mm. et cetera, there's, there's lots of opportunity to grow. Yeah, I'm sure that's the, you know, the, the overall strategy. And, um, yeah, I think it's banking on culture and on the creative class, which we can have a much, much longer conversation of, <laughs> yeah. on the merits of one way and the other. Yeah, that's a whole yeah, other can of worms. But yeah, but it's an interesting one. Um, yeah. you know, and, and there's a, you know, just a, it is a great part of town. I mean, it, there's so much beautiful architecture that has been preserved by neglect. Um, and uh, maybe that should have been the name of the podcast, Andrew. Preserved, preserved, preserved by, like neglect. Preserve by neglect. Yeah. Because maybe that mm. that's almost like a Baltimore motto. <laughs> like instead of the greatest city in America or charm city or whatever, preserved by neglect. Preserved by neglect. Yeah. Oh, that 19th century charm that. Uh, you know, H.L. Mencken said, let me show you the ruins of a great medieval city. Um, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's our town. Um, so, you know, a, kind of a, uh, just a, a further riff on that theme, uh, Seawall Development, which does a lot of uh, socially conscious real estate development. Um, and a lot of people who have been by Charmington's Coffee have been through um, one of their venues. Well, they are have been expanding in that area and into Remington, and now apparently they um, are making plans to buy a highly contested site in Remington that was going to be anchored by Walmart, and that had um, well that generated a lot of strong feelings. Um, some people didn't want Walmart, is what well you're some saying. some did, but uh, a lot of people didn't, and so it will be very interesting to see if it comes to to pass that uh, if this. Uh, kind of socially minded mixed use philosophy of real estate development takes hold in instead of Walmart there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but Remington you just feel like that's just an area that's just like ready to just flip, right? It's so mm-hmm. on that on I don't know, do we is 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 Charmington's in Remington? Everything starts to bleed together uh, Charles no. Village around, you know. I don't know where the line is. When you have parts and labor opening there, I feel like, oh, well, uh, you're yeah. getting pretty posh if you have a, a Woodbury kitchen offshoot in your neighborhood. <laughs> mm. Mm. I always thought of Charmington's as, as in Remington. Mm. Uh, if I, I didn't give it much thought, but yeah. Uh, it's, Someone it maybe, will have to draw us a map. Yeah. I, I don't know where all these, where are all these boundaries drawn. Is that, there must be an official map somewhere, right? Probably the best thing is that is the um, Neighborhood Indicators Alliance map. 
um, which is not census right. uh, neighborhoods, census designated neighborhoods, and it's not. Um, uh, there's it's a not, logic. It's to not it, zip right? code driven, and it's not census track driven. It's it is more neighborhood driven. So that'd be yeah, that'd be a good place. But to how go does one see. decide where one neighborhood? Starts we'll have to have SEMA iron on to <laughs> explain yep. to us how they make those decisions. Mm. I don't really know. Putting her down. Okay, um, but. I do think, you know, there was an article, there was an article earlier this week, These, this is not about Baltimore, but there was an article earlier this week in the New York Times about how the Union Square Cafe, which is a pretty upscale Danny Meyer restaurant in New York, is either closing or is definitively relocating out of Union Square because it can't afford the rent anymore in its neighborhood. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and it just sort of makes you think about how sometimes, you know, I don't know, like, I think there's a delicate balance in Baltimore to, yes, we want more affluent people coming in because it increases the tax base, which is better for the city. But at the same time, we can't make the it totally affluent so that everyone who is middle class is suddenly gone from the city, which is, is almost mm-hmm. the way it is now. Either you're like, you know, you're rich enough to live on the water or you're too poor to move out of the city. And anything that's in between isn't really here anymore. Mm. So there's like, there's just a delicate balance to putting, you know, when you put a really posh butcher shop in a tradi- a neighborhood that is traditionally not very posh, you know, oh, yeah. <laughs> what do you, you know, where do those people go? Mm. When like, when the, when millennials start moving out of their parents' house because the economy is getting better and getting apartments in the city, this was in the Washington Post today. Hmm. That watch out, the millennials are coming for your urban apartment. Um, <laughs> <laughs> maybe this is just a Washington issue. But, I mean, certainly there's no shortage of housing stock in Baltimore, right? Well, the, If you're willing to take a tree out of your roof, yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of options. <laughs> you know, if, uh, yeah, if everybody could um, participate in something like Vacants to Values, there would definitely be plenty of... Uh, um, Housing, but you have to uh, have a certain amount of wealth to even. Right. You know, I mean, no one's, no one's figured out how to do that at scale, that kind of uh, revitalization using a mechanism like that. I think also the, the kind of the picture of gentrification is not yet clear. There are certain assumptions that come into the conversation that displacement is definitely happening and it's definitely bad. And I mean, but there are some counterindications. I mean, I think it was in the Washington Post a few months ago, there was a story about some research study that, in fact, in, at least in some instances, that the original residents of these neighborhoods are greatly benefited by what would be traditionally be referred to as gentrification. So, you know, I am deeply ambivalent. I have no mm-hmm. idea. Um, mm-hmm. I definitely think what you're touching on there, Sharon, is really important and really crucial. Um, but I just, I just don't know that anybody has the answer. I, I know that... Um uh, Baltimore will not be, become as pricey as Manhattan in the next year or two. <laughs> I can say that with conf- confidence. <laughs> if ever. Well, I mean, the thing is that New York has an engine of wealth, right? I mean, it had its bad times in the 70s and the 80s, but it has the financial sector, and that's going to create huge amounts of wealth no matter what, and it's creating this process where uh, the middle class is being pushed out and the poor have already been pushed out. And that's something they're just going to have to find a way to deal with. We'll see how de Blasio deals with that. Um, I think it's going to be interesting. But 
the main problem with walls at the moment, I mean, I think we're getting these sort of fights over gentrification, but it's a, it's a fight between people generally without resources. This is, this is, as in Remain, speaking of the wire, this is a poor city. Um, and we don't really have an engine of wealth. We could go back to the institutions we talked about before. The closest thing we have is places like Hopkins. They are the largest boys in the state, uh, let alone mm-hmm. the city. Mm-hmm. Um, but nothing like Bethlehem Steel, nothing that provides consistent middle class jobs for people who don't need high, you know, lots and lots of higher education. Um, and we do have an, a huge engine of wealth sitting very close to us. You, know, you mentioned it, Andrew, in the federal government and in the national security corridor and in the, sort of the government contracting ITDC wealth you know, ring of suburbs. Mm-hmm. But you know, I don't know, I can't think of anything else that would um, be that source of wealth, and I don't know how we connect to that one in any consistent way. Yeah. It uh, remains to be seen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think that, uh, well... We're, our next topic that we're going to talk about is um, is something that's more on the absurd end of the spectrum, um, and it is it's it's this this issue of solving first world problems first, um, or one of many issues involved. But you know, uh, you know, a lot of us have been strong cheerleaders for the Baltimore um, tech startup scene for quite a while, and you know, it it, it hasn't been as prone to um, the frothing bubble hysteria of places like San Francisco or Silicon Valley. And, uh, but, you know, there's a certain shark jumping moment that um, <laughs> we may have just uh, passed. And it's, it's a little unfair to single out one company, one group of individuals as, as uh, an emblem. But, but, you know but we're going to do it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there's this, this app that has you've probably heard of because it's been talked about to a stunning degree, and it's called Haystack, and it's about. And if you're on Facebook, they 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 obviously yeah. have a big ad buy budget on Facebook. Mm. Yeah, and and it's it's basically about finding parking in Canton, and you pay. Maybe Federal Hill too. Well, uh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So, you're. I I could like fall into all kinds of stereotypes about those neighborhoods that are totally unfair, but um, the. Uh, you know the th- the thing is that these are night spots. There are people where where the, the, these are neighborhoods where young people live. So there's often convenient parking shortages. Um, so uh, to solve this world shaking problem, um, there's an app for that. There is now an app for that, and it's it's like a peer to peer market for parking spaces. I mean, you're basically like selling the information that you're leaving your parking space and it is available, and then someone driving around the block looking for a parking space you know, pays $5 for the information that you are leaving your parking space so that they can drive in and snag it, as opposed to selling the parking space, which is obvious, which is obviously illegal versus like the more morally muddled version that we're looking at, where, you know, you can't sell a public parking spot. Right. Who, who gets the money? Does the person, does the person uh, alert, The person alert, who's, yes, the person, person who's leaving the, the space gets a cut and so does the App See, developer, I believe. That to me is the problem with the system. You eliminate that, and these people could still make money from being an aggregator of information, and everyone signs up, and it's a mutually beneficial system where everyone who signs up pays mm. for the for the convenience of someone collating that information. It's like, well, how Waze, of course, I assume they're never not going to get away with this ultimately, but Waze, the app, has people um, you know, alerting each other to the existence of 
uh, police speed mm-hmm, traps, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And you know they're not but they're not charging for that. But you don't pay for that app, and you don't get paid for you get like you know meaningless points. You can put like a little hat on your your Waze uh, avatar. I worked really hard to become um, Waze royalty and have a little. <laughs> well, there you go. Crown so the, indi- my little the individuals feature. are not paid, but I mean, I'm Waze. I, I think it's not Waze a pay app yet, but but you certainly no. Has it has ads. ad yeah. delivery on it. So right, mm-hmm. but I mean, I don't. Personally and it's also see- owned by Google now. So. Right, mm-hmm. yeah, so they're, they're good for money. Um, <laughs> but I, I personally, I'm struggling to see the problem with someone being ingenious enough to come up with a system that aggregates this stuff um, and makes some profit off of that. Um, I don't, you know, that the, the, the aggregating of public information is a value added. Mm-hmm. I mean, I get angry in a sense in the same concept that like, the people, the companies who you kind of often have to go through to get certain public information, like records and things, because they, it's like a racket. They get the contract, right? If mm-hmm. someone could disrupt that, I think, you know, if, if I'm going to pay somebody, I'd rather someone who does it efficiently and well. But I mean, the, the collecting together and the disseminating of public information uh, as a paid service is nothing new. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, well, yeah, it, and I think that you know, in this case, though, it's like it's taking. I mean, that, I think that's way overstating the significance of what this this uh, <laughs> one app can do, and and it's sort of like you have to have the app handy as you're driving around somehow, and signal that you need a parking spot, and there has to be somebody at the same moment ready to signal that they are. So you're saying just logistically you don't think it's very workable? I'm not, uh, like, unless I'm, I guess people do get desperate enough looking, but I don't think that people leaving parking spots, their first impulse is to, oh, I could get a dollar for, uh, for saying that I'm leaving, for waiting for this person to come. Uh, I don't, I I don't, I don't see that, but, but then the the market would sort it out on its own. Yeah, well, that's going to happen. Because you have similar apps in like San Francisco where the city is, you know, suing now to shut down these mm-hmm. apps, saying, you, you, "It's I don't know. It's not even is it public information? It's not. It's hardly well, information it's, at all." Well, it's like it's, uh, it's basically what, what's really happening is that you're being given an opportunity to sell uh, the parking space that. You yeah, have. and again, I think that's both the logistical problem and the ethical problem because that can lead to trying to game the system and people sort of used you know making. What are public parking spaces into a private asset? The information is not, I think, a problem of, of collating and aggregating that. I don't see, again, that's an issue with that. And I mean, to your, to your point about the practicality, I, I'm, I have not developed this, any kind of app like this, but I would think that if you had a geolocator that knew you were in Canton and then knew that you were on the move once you'd left a space, I can't imagine that'd be that difficult. That would alert mm-hmm. the system automatically if you were signed into it. So again, I can see an app that like, if you're signed on and pay the five bucks a month or whatever for the, for the information service, um, that would, t- that would tell you by geolocation where there are now free spots. That could work quite well. Um, and I don't really see big, a big ethical problem with that. But that's not apparently how this works. Yeah, it, it, it's. I think all of this is. It's. We've already talked way too much about the 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 thing itself, in, in terms of its you know ongoing significance. I think because it's just it's it will vanish in a, in a in a minute. It's just going to evaporate. It'll go back uh, into the my, haystack. Or or yeah, or or it's going to become a gigantic triumph but, and uh, refloat but Baltimore's <laughs> economy. But, but I think this is uh, back to your your first point, which is like you know solving first world problems first. That there's been a lot of money invested in this, or you have like the even more absurd Yo app. Um, yeah. which has, you know, managed to raise like, you know, we're talking about millions of dollars here 
in, in Baltimore, what could we actually be using that money for? And the, the creativity, yeah. the technical know-how that it takes to build these kind of applications, how can we be funneling that into the city to actually improve... Mm. Well, yeah, see, life for everyone is, in the yeah, city, the, not the, just people who can't yeah. find parking spaces. See, yeah, the, this is my gripe: is the is the, like the the more like envy um, driven argument, which is that they, they had this lavish lunch party at the Four Seasons Wit and Wisdom Tavern. I would be so happy if I were one of their with VCs. Um, <laughs> uh, young ladies with tight white shirts and fake angel wings. Can everyone see the hairs on the back of my neck stand up when you say that, though? I mean, it's but it's so classy. <laughs> it's world class. Um, it's programmer the, yeah, these, BS. Yeah, these, is what these it is. parking angels. Um, you know, uh, they're. I, I don't know what message that sends. Really, um, I mean, yes, you do. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but then, for some reason, you know, of, of all sort of startup launch parties, they, they, there's like uh, Congressman Dutch Rupersberger who I don't think of as a great fan of Baltimore City. He's speaking there. The mayor, Stephanie Rawlings-Blake, is there. That For some reason, in addition to the um, the parking angels, they had zombies. Um, and I'm not sure why that is relevant to um, parking problems, I guess. Well, clearly because the app is going to raise Baltimore from the dead, right? I mean, that's, right. that's, that is that's it. its, its potential. I mean, it, it all has religious overtones you, now. Yeah, and, and and you look at the <laughs> website; it, it's beautiful, and they have like a, a, a professionally produced. I guess they're they're professional actors showing how to use the app in a video. Um, it's they have a robust marketing budget. That's what I hear you say. Hmm. Well, and it's like how much? How much do you think like the launch party alone cost? I bet it costs more to put on than. Having 400 people at the at Port Discovery last fall for Tech Night. I'm I'm just I would I would well, I'm I bet sure a dollar that's, true that's the because, case because we know how to scrimp and save and right. turn out a good party. This is I guess it's <laughs> what it, it's like the it's it's the the maximum instead of the minimum viable product it's the maximum uh, noise generating product. I what don't know saying, what to it's call like it. It's like all it's all facade and there's nothing. There's nothing behind it, really. I don't. Well, I don't know, but it, the emperor has no clothes. The, it's I'm just, just going to work a couple it's, of it's analogies. It's decadent. It's, it's excessive. It's, it is. Um, and it, yeah. And, so what you're saying is Baltimore's not wealthy enough yet to be this decadent. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Maybe in another generation we can we, we can, can afford, we, know, can't, we can't afford to, money we can't down afford the to be this. Uh, to be, to but be you this know, luxurious. at the same time, we <laughs> we know people in the tech community here that decry this sort of behavior in the valley and say like, look how disgusting it is that this is the way that they would launch a startup. But here. They're applauding it. I think there's like a real I, 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 willingness to, you know, to your point about like, well, why are these, why are these politicians there? Because you've got to say like, yay, Baltimore business. Everything that's like Baltimore business is good. Well, and also we've spent we spent a lot of time trying to uh, get attention for all of the the like legit startups the. The growing businesses that are happening, that are hiring people, that are making a, a positive economic and social impact, mm-hmm. and um, and that's what cheeses me off. It's like why all this attention for something that you know is is so inferior to the other cool things that you know we've seen around. Because you have a good publicity pub, publicity person. But wait, what 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 examples? What are the counter examples of things that are much more worthwhile? Well, um, look at uh, 
Me? Any any on ramp company, um, or uh, you know, I look at the if you look at the investment track record of savvy investors, like say uh, John Kamak, who's a ex Tiro Price guy who has invested a lot in the ed tech sector, mm-hmm. and like on his LinkedIn profile, you can see what he's invested in, and yeah, so that's a good example, like yeah. something like um, co- Common Curriculum. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. That's like you know, this is a. This is a, a website for teachers to share the, the what they're the curricula that they're building for their classrooms with other teachers. Mm-hmm. That's built by two guys down in Holland's Market. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's like there's that's a really cool idea for a startup. Mm-hmm. That's that's helping on many levels, but no one's running around talking about how awesome it is. I don't think they would have girls in wings at a party. Maybe they should. Yeah, maybe that's maybe that's what's been missing. Zombies and right. um, Robbie and Scott. If you're and, listening, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I think that's yeah. I think if you can't beat them, join them. Um, you know, and and you know, you look at the one, other ones that that like. Just this is just one example of one savvy investor. There's like Moodle Rooms, which you know has actually been bought since he invested in it. Uh, Curiosityville also um, just recently upgraded. Yep. Yeah, and Sightlighter, which is. Uh, um, Kind of a, a student text uh, sharing thing, if I remember correctly, and there's just a whole whole bunch of things here. Unbound concepts, which is a, a really cool thing about uh, 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 using um, data tools to determine um, uh, reading level of uh, writing and text. Anyway, it's it's like the, there's some some cool things happening, and you know, so why can't they get a little of this uh, spotlight? Um, on, on that, because they're too busy building an awesome yeah. product, not running around throwing parties for themselves. Yeah, that's well, my very snarky answer. Mm. <laughs> yeah, well, I was being petulant, and you can be snarky, and then <laughs> I usually am. That's what I'm good at. We're 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 way over our our intended time, and we've taken a lot of time from from Hasdai's schedule. So we let, why don't we just turn to to the the main reason you're here? Well, first of all, can you tell us a bit about like who you are and what you do in Baltimore. Sure. So, well, as everyone can tell, I'm originally from Baltimore. No, mm-hmm. um, I'm... Say hun at the end of that. It would yeah. be totally convincing. <laughs> right, mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm from London originally. Um, I have a long and complicated history with Baltimore. Um, but um, I am the uh, founder and CEO of Changing Media, which is a digital media agency that uh, helps uh, mission-driven organizations harness the power of new media for social change. Um, and when you are a digital media agency, you're supposed to have a blog and talk about key performance indicators and search engine optimization, and we were not interested in doing that. We found it boring, uh, as fascinating as it is to work it through with individual clients. So, you know, obviously we're very um, interested in and involved in social change and social impact initiatives and issues uh, in the city of Baltimore. So we created a blog called Change Engine to kind of focus on that and bring together a kind of platform for social change uh, makers and thinkers and uh, so forth. And... Um, we would periodically sort of, actually, it's, it's interesting. It's very, when you get sort of brilliant people together who are doing amazing things, sort of cool things happen and, and come out of that. And one sort of discussion that kept kicking around is um, going back, actually, back sort of a little bit to what we were just talking about um, is there was, there's been this kind of notion of tech evangelism um, in Baltimore and that this, this will save everything. And this, that's kind of the, the, the publicity campaign. This will bring Baltimore back from, you know, its, mm-hmm. its post industrial malaise. 
And a couple of our columnists, one of our columnists said, well, there's some problems with that, that theory, and it goes back to whether it can really generate jobs and whether, it, whether the whole digital economy creates jobs for people in the first place in any significant mm-hmm. way, and certainly mm-hmm. uh, lower-income people. And so I sort of said, well, this is a challenge. You know, we talk about what's, we say that's not going to work. So what will work? What, what is, you know, and it's kind of a broad discussion. What is the, like, we talk about bringing Baltimore back. What's going to save Baltimore from itself? Like, what's, so we sort of ran a sort of mini sort of save Baltimore campaign, save be more hashtag, um, mm-hmm. social media, right? Um, mm-hmm. And uh, so we put it out there and we got a lot of people to respond and sort of give their, their pithy one-liners and also um, to sort of provide sort of uh, in column length what they thought and all kinds of ideas and initiatives. Mostly people, it's interesting. Thing. A lot of people kind of use this as an excuse to say what was wrong with Baltimore again, you know, mm-hmm. and to to um, sell their pet theories. But anyway, um, I ultimately got into the mix, and one thing that had always been had been bothering me in this conversation, also in the broader conversation, is kind of this tendency of Baltimore to run from itself and uh, to to kind of want to grasp for some identity, whether it's like the greatest city in America or whatever you want to call it. Um, uh, to constantly in this kind of insecurity and saying, you know, the wire gave us this, this terrible reputation to the, to, to the outside world. We're never going to attract anyone. We're never, no one's ever going to take us seriously. We're never going to come back and revive. We're just going to be associated with this horrible thing, the wire, which just shows how awful we are. And firstly, this was said mostly by people who had never seen the wire. It's something I kept mm-hmm. noticing in conversation. Cause if you'd actually seen the wire, you'd know that, you know, obviously, yes, it paints a very bleak picture, but it's, I mean, it's so deep and rich and, uh, it's a love letter in many ways to Baltimore that it's so much more complex than some than bad PR. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and it also struck me that if we keep running from ourselves, if we keep running from what are legitimately severe social problems and inequities in Baltimore and structural problems, we're never going to recover in the way that these people want. We're always going to be a city that if, that will be um, haystacks, uh, you know, these these sort of sybaritic apps and parties mm-hmm. and extreme poverty. And it might seem to, to, to those people in living in their bubble that Baltimore has come back, but it, we won't. And I think mm-hmm. that ultimately it will be. It is a bubble and it ultimately is unsustainable. You cannot have a city that is uh, living with such immense inequality where revitalization means is, is, is only for a few. Um, so I, I wrote a piece uh, where I said we need to embrace the why. We need really need to, to, to confront this identity. Not that we sort of exalt in this, that we're terrible or anything like that. But the only way to change this story is to, to acknowledge that this is a, a significant part of the story. Um, mm-hmm. And that the people that we need to empower are, are both those wretched of the earth that the, that the wire depicted and the people among them and the people from the outside um, people like me who are privileged, relatively speaking, who are coming in, um, and, and there are people who are doing much more uh, important work in Baltimore for social impact than me, um, we need to, to celebrate and empower those people. We need to um, you know, create like a space race for social change and, mm-hmm. uh, and, and reward and acknowledge the people who are doing the most for the least well-off, not, not so much the haystacks of the world. Um, and, and to stop with the embarrassment and the shame um, and, uh, and to own it. We are the wire. Yeah. We need to own it. So it's not... We're not the wire. Instead, we are X. It's, right. Yes, we're the wire. Right. But we're also X, right. Y, and Z. We can and, also be, or yeah. like th- through acknowledging that we are the wire, and through we are the wire, and we acknowledge that these that, that there are these incre- immense challenges, which by the way are not our own. I mean, in many ways, Baltimore became a stand-in and a metaphor for the malaise of the post-industrial city in America, mm-hmm. right? And if we can solve it here, if we, with all our ingenuity and brilliance and all the untapped social capital and all these places, all these wasted. Uh, opportunity. If we can turn that around, if we can, if we can change that, that I think is a great story. And it comes out of the wire. It's not, it's not running away from the wire. The wire energizes it. It electrifies it, so to speak. So that's that's really. Uh, and I mean, I I just sort of put this out there, and it got quite a bit of reaction. So um, 
Amen. I thought that was quite quite yeah. um, interesting. Uh, oh, well, yeah, it 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 it. Well, first of all, amen. Uh, second, it just it it uh, it did it sparked a lot of thinking, and um, you know, it's part of what what informs us as we frame this podcast. Quoting the wire, all the pieces matter, but it it's in conscious uh, reflection of that of that theme that you brought up of like we need to to pull in all of these pieces mm-hmm. and and um, and build something you know that that is more enduring and inclusive um, and I think it's a fantastic fascinating challenge and um, and supposedly entrepreneurs are uh, view all problems as opportunities right and if that's the case then we're surrounded by opportunities um, <laughs> and and you know I I heard uh, Sarah Heminger who's one of the you know great Heroes among change makers in Baltimore, founder of the Incentive Mentoring Program, now known as Thread, um, which has just had a, a, a has a, a an actually perfect record in bringing the most vulnerable, uh, at-risk kids into society and accelerating them through these hardcore mm-hmm. mentorship families. But anyway, like what what she was, she's been, you know courted all over the world because of, of her work. And she's been an Ashoka fellow, which is for like global social mm-hmm. enterprise, all stars. And, and the thing is that, that, that she said is that, well, you know, Baltimore is big enough to have all these problems, but it's small enough where one person can actually make a difference. Right. And if you can make a difference in Baltimore with all of our problems, why can't you make that? That means you can make a difference anywhere. Right, right. And we have one of the heaviest lifts, but we can do it. And I think again, the sort of the why gives this frame and this common consciousness um, for people who are trying to create social change. And yeah, we talk about individual stories. I mean, her her story is is is, is dead on. But I mean, uh, another great example is Chris Wilson, um, mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. Uh, is working in various ways for workforce development. I mean, and this is something I didn't know until we all read the Al Jazeera piece recently, and I don't know how Chris would feel about me saying this, but I mean, one could say that his story came straight out of the wire, I mean, at least conventionally speaking. But Mm -hmm. yes, it did, but it also shows exactly, I think, the kind of possibilities and opportunities that we're talking about here, because Chris took this and did, you know, turned it around, did these amazing things. I mean, from incarceration uh, to opportunity and to transforming not only his life but uh, so many other people's lives. Yeah, I mean, he he brought a lot of people along with him as Absolutely. he, um, you know, turned his life around. And and the and the thing is that you know, unfortunately, that kind of heroic individual is not something that you can solve all these problems with. No, of course not. You right. know, it's you. How do you, how do you change the um, the the environment? So that it doesn't require, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, near legendary, sure. uh, you know, like Frederick Douglass type self education right. to 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 succeed. That's what we've been wrestling with. I think already in this conversation before we got onto this topic, um, it's sort of the question I brought up: in what is going to be the engine of wealth, and therefore ultimately change? I mean, I think that part of the conversation is removing obstacles, right? So, I mean, one major obstacle. This is one of my. Um, issues that I care deeply about in the piece that I wrote was, uh, and I think the wire spotlighted it beautifully, is, is the war on drugs. It's mm-hmm. war on drugs policies, it's incarceration policies, mm-hmm. uh, absolutely devastating communities uh, for absolutely no social, pos- positive social end, absolutely the opposite. So, th- 
reforming those um, policies, I think, would make a big difference. But there's been so much uh, harm done already. And, you know, you combine that with redlining and racism and so forth. So these are obstacles that have to be eliminated. What alongside that can be that engine of change and wealth, that major, I mean, what we need ultimately in a place like Baltimore, along with the removal of all these obstacles, is more jobs, is more opportunity. And I don't have the answer to that. I don't know if anybody does. That person should be mayor, though. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it um, you know, I, I see, you know, look around Baltimore with the um, beautiful architecture preserved by neglect, the mm-hmm. uh, incredibly talented people, the, the things that have, have bubbled up without any um, initiative or collaboration planning by major institutions, you, these are so hopeful. Um, things like uh, everything from like, I mean, it's not to my taste, but like Baltimore club music is world famous and um, it's an an indigenous cultural product that has been Mm -hmm. exported all over the world. And that's, that's something that, you know, is, is good. Um, uh, There, I know we're, we're, we're right here in between all these other much more expensive, uh, pretentious cities. Uh, so we can, not that you're judging. So we can, (laughs) we can get to them if we, if we, absolutely have to um, you know we can uh, do things in a, in a in a in our own way and I and I hear it when uh, like an interview with the band future islands that mm-hmm. you know had this you know uh, breakthrough performance on the David Letterman show and they they talked about why they're in Baltimore and how it's this there's this hard work ethic among the arts and culture community here of you know you got to do it yourself and you it's a it's a working class approach that is attuned to the atmosphere of the city but it it works and it's and it's helped foster some really creative you know visual performing artists uh coming out of here now they're not going to hire 10,000 people right right um and and the people who do find work through that are going to be like people who have spent $40,000 a year to attend MICA or um you know, are or are in a position to spend a lot of leisure hours perfecting their music. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not enough. I mean, it's some, it's great, but it's not enough. And I mean, that's why I think you know um, there there should be a Baltimore love hate project because it's the there's the bitter truth and there's also the optimistic truth, and they they they, they coexist. And how um, I don't think we can get anywhere. If we don't acknowledge both, and there are there are people who are just like flippantly anti-Baltimore mm-hmm. uh, for lots of reasons, um, and there are people who are mindlessly cheerful about Baltimore, but not not that many. But um, <laughs> uh, but it it it's having the kind of honest reckoning you you talk about it does seem to be like that that first step toward yeah. uh, building something on, that's real. I think it's essential. And uh, by the way, I, I love the idea of a Baltimore love-hate project. I think we're mm-hmm. all participating in it already. Yeah. And for the record, <laughs> I should note that I lobbied for, for a long time for the love project to at least on April Fool's, on April Fool's Day uh, turn their website into the Baltimore hate project. But they... Were, yeah, well, how, did, how, do you make, uh, how do you make uh, hate <laughs> oh, out of yes. a uh, silhouette flip, flip of you know, two, two raised middle fingers? I wonder. <laughs> that, that was my idea. That's <laughs> your mural? Yeah. <laughs> so I think that would be very a very Baltimore attitude if you saw something like that. Right. Yeah, that would be indicative to Baltimore of me. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I think the reckoning is absolutely crucial, um, and it may be that the thing that 
creates what we need, the 10,000 jobs, whatever, hasn't been invented yet. And it's, it's not some, a model that exists yet. And it can only come through um, having that reckoning with our problems and with these obstacles that, that um, keep so many people downtrodden. Um, that, that could be. It would be nice, I, I'm sort of casting around, like, is there a city, is there something, is there a place like Baltimore? Not to import, I don't know, you know, whatever sort of fashionable downtown development idea or, or uh, that, that we always try to do, or the Grand Prix, I see that as another sort of rather silly transplant idea that's going you know, to, it's some theory of bringing people in will create more tax base, which will ultimately, you know, help a few more rich people, I guess. Uh, I don't see that as the, the path of revitalization, but some kind of model, whether it's, you know, workforce development projects in Cleveland, I forget the, the name of the organization that's mm-hmm. working on that, that has, it's like a, a workers' collective. And, I, and I, again, I don't know if that's the answer or part of the answer. Uh, I'm pretty agnostic about the solution, but I think it's what we all need to be focusing on ultimately. First is really coming to a reckoning and not trying to deny um, what we're facing here and to, in a sense, take pride in trying to solve it and then to focus on very specifically on the issue of poverty um, and uh, sort of social determinants of health and uh, you know an outcome mm-hmm. inequality. That's really insightful. Thank you for sh- no. I'm serious. Um, I know I said I would be snarky the whole time, but I'm not. Um, yeah, as, as someone who's like who, who considers themselves a champion of snark, I surprise myself when I'm this sincere about something. So yeah, yeah, catch myself saying, "What am I saying?" Yeah. So. Well, thanks for joining us Absolutely. today, Hazai. Thanks Thank you for to everyone me. for joining us on our very first version of this podcast. If you have um, feedback that you want to give us, we will have a phone number set up shortly. But in the meantime, you can. Tweet us at all pieces or send us an email at all the pieces podcast, which is really long. All the pieces podcast at gmail.com. And you can also, of course, contact any of us uh, directly. directly using the social media. Um, and I'm at Andrew Hazlett, and you are at Sharon underscore Paley. Yes, which is very good for podcasting to have an underscore in your, oh, yeah. in well, your Twitter handle. It's an emphasis. Just think of it that way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and how can people look up you, Hasdai? Sure, sure. So Changing Media is uh, Changing Media Group, all one word. I could spell that out, but hopefully I don't need you to. You can spell. Um, <laughs> right. Um, and yeah, so, and we're also available, uh, we can be reached uh, Twitter at uh, through the Change Engine uh, blog platform um, at Change Engine with one E in the middle. So C-H-A-N-G-E-N-G-I-N-E. So there you go. We're building something here, Detective. We're building it from scratch. All the pieces matter. Baltimore, you're home to me. You're everything a home should be. Love of friends and family. 